You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, April 22nd, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film news writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday, Ryan. Uh, sir, I know that you've been on this podcast several times this week. Um, typically, you're, you're with Peter talking about box office and stuff, but I know that you have said many times on, on these episodes that you uh, primarily look at Hollywood from a business perspective, and there's nobody better, I think, to have on this particular episode than you, because we're going to be talking a lot about the business of Hollywood, and specifically the business of Netflix, because... As I'm sure our listeners probably know, since this news happened within the past day or two, uh, Netflix has lost a staggering amount of money recently. They, they actually lost $54 billion overnight. Um, and the reason for that is because they posted, I think for the first time in uh, since 2011, they posted losses in subscribers. I think it was something like 200,000 subscribers. Um, yeah, yeah. Lost. So uh, for a company that has basically build itself as the disruptor of Hollywood and has uh, frankly changed the entire shape of Hollywood as we know it. Um, it has been riding high for the past decade plus on this idea of uh, subscriber growth and constant growth. And, um, you know, we're just going to spend money now and recoup it all later and spend billions on content and all this. And this week sort of feels like 
the first time that Netflix has really um, stumbled in a significant way since, in my view, something like a Quickster. I don't know if you remember that when like yeah. uh, there was that whole that whole fiasco. But this this is um, something that is like definitely hitting them in the wallet uh, in a in a pretty serious way. Like I said, fifty four billion dollars overnight. Um, that's nothing to to sneeze at. So I think this entire episode we're going to mention some some other stories and stuff. But the conversation that we're going to have right now is basically all about this idea. So just, um, I guess, gut check reaction from you, Ryan, what what did you think when you heard this news? Was this something that you felt like was going to happen eventually? Is this something that sort of took you by surprise based on the timing of it? What, what was your reaction to this? I think I was the first one in our Slack channel that noticed it and I threw it in there and I was kind of smashing the panic button and like everyone was just kind of like, oh, okay. Like when the, when the 2000, when the 200,000 subscribers thing, and I was like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the next day and now to be clear the 54 billion number that's 54 billion in value because of the stock drop so right. it's not like it's not like someone at the netflix office has got like ocean 11 out of 54 billion dollars but like <laughs> you know like it, it, it but but you know that's significant and just to hammer away the point uh just looking at this right now netflix's stock is down another 2.63 percent today uh, are 2.63 points, 1.2% today. Um, so they, they continue to see the fall from this and they cannot afford any more drop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me, for me, it was, I mean, the writing had been on the wall. They, they've capped growth in North America. Uh, they are expanding rapidly in other territories, but that takes time to build. Uh, then the problem is you have to take money from somewhere else and invest in international content but that international content doesn't always travel very well squid game was a major exception not the rule so for me Mm -hmm. like i you know i've just you know i've been waiting like i've been waiting i mean i you know i knew that i knew the day was going to come and what's worse is they've said they're already getting ahead of it and saying hey by the way next quarter we're probably going to lose like another two million subscribers just so you guys know uh you know like they kind of got ahead of it but, you know, I mean, that's a hell of a reaction. And, you know, the other thing to mention here is that not only did they lose $54 billion overnight in one of the biggest single-day drops in stock market history, they have now lost 60% of their overall value in the last six months. So, you know, a lot of that has to do with streaming competition. A lot of that has to do with Wall Street seeing the writing on the wall of North America being capped for subscribers and I don't really know what the answer is, but it's a hell of a thing because, the, <laughs> as you said, the industry has reshaped itself after their model. And I really can't help but wonder what might have happened if the pandemic hadn't happened and mm-hmm. Hollywood wasn't like forced to double down so fast. Um, well, what do you what do you mean by that? Ex- expand on that a little bit. OK, so so um, there was definitely a push towards streaming, you know, before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. You, but you got you're talking about like uh, consumer habits and just like a, a slow sort well, of um, transition consumer habits. And then also like the other big companies in the world sort of looking at like, well, look at what Netflix is doing. So mm-hmm. you, just for an example, like the timeline of that is people I don't know if people really even think of it this way, but like Disney Plus launched in what was it? November of 2019. They launched like three or four months before the pandemic really hit. Mm-hmm. So that was your real first major, major competitor to Netflix in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Hulu never really was direct competition in a meaningful way. And so 
then then movie you know it's weird to think about now but movie theaters were shut down for like seven months straight for the most part you know what i mean like there was nothing in theaters so so hollywood had to pivot premium vod becomes a thing and like and that it is a form of streaming and so you you know everyone you know you can't close pandora's box Mm -hmm. so not that not to say that studios weren't already looking to pivot to streaming but when it looked like theatrical might never recover in the same way the thinking doubled down hard on fine we need to now streaming is now our future so and complete corporate investment strategies for these big media companies were restructured to prioritize streaming i see yes and and now you look at you know I, I've always said that that streaming feels like a house of cards to me that is being built in a very windy open area. <laughs> you know, like and and this to me is a big example why, you know, and, and Netflix is the king of the king of the hill. And this is how fragile their system is. How on yeah, earth I mean, can they... Peacock hope to compete? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, all of us have, have sort of been saying, like, you know, this is this is unsustainable at the pace that it's going in terms of like, um, you know, maybe some of the, the peacocks of the world. Uh, we already saw it with Quibi. Some of these services, CNN Plus just this week had to shut down after like almost immediately after launching. Although um, that's you know, an interesting seems, situation, but yeah. <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, some of these streamers are are not going to make it in the long run, you know, within the next, next X number of years, two years, five years, whatever it is. Um, the landscape is probably going to look markedly different than it does right now in terms of a lot of the stuff being sort of acquired or, or, um, you know, merged or what have you. Um, so that part is not, uh, is not super surprising, but yeah, I just go back to, you know, the, the fact that, um, Netflix was riding high for so long and they had such a huge head start, and, um, and it, you know, it, it takes a long time for Hollywood as a whole. Um, cause we talk about that all the time. We talk about, we throw that term around Hollywood, this Hollywood, that it's a collection of, uh, uh, depending on the context of the conversation, people, companies, conglomerates, multinational corporations. I mean, th- these are things that um, that uh, take a long time. There's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of red tape to go through. So for, yes, like you're saying, a lot of these companies um, had had started the pivot to streaming, for lack of a better term, uh, well before the, the pandemic began. Um, but yeah, their, uh, their interest in that intensified in a huge way when their their main you know theatrical option was taken off the table so yeah, Mar- um, march march of 2020 when troll it's the weirdest thing to think but trolls world tour goes to premium vod for 20 dollars, and it's like that is like a weird watershed moment in hollywood history yeah. of like because this had been talked about i'm sure you remember you've been doing this a while you remember mm-hmm. there there'd be, there'd been talk of what if you could watch a brand new movie in your living room and they would charge you like 20 bucks for it and people were like, there's no way I'm going to pay 20 bucks to watch a movie at home. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember this? I don't know if you remember oh, yeah, this, but it was like course. before COVID, everyone was like, that's so stupid. Why would it? There's no way. And yeah, then, there was like, talk about um, Tower Heist, the uh, Eddie Murphy, I think Ben Stiller comedy from like, I think the year was like 2012. And they were talking about doing like a $50, 45 or $50 charge to watch it at home. I think maybe the idea back then was like having it in a special, you had to have a special box or something. Um, yeah, th- that there was would, that idea floated. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, but then, so then like that just completely, you know, it, it upended a normal. It, 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 it pissed off movie theaters. It ruined relationships with, with, with exhibition. And it, I don't know, it just, it, and you know, it's, yeah, it, it, all of a sudden the, the interests change completely. And, and yeah, that's the thing. Cause these things are on a long, long, long timeline. You yeah. can't launch a streaming service in a short window, but what you can do in a shorter window 
is the the suits in the big rooms at the top of these Hollywood towers can go, okay, let's change our thinking. And that's a, right. lot, of that, that's a lot of what happened. Yeah. So, okay. So now that Netflix has experienced this, um, you know, ha- has basically tripped over this huge hurdle. Uh, <laughs> what do you think this is going to look like, Ryan? Because we, as we've been saying, you know, every studio basically, with the exception of Sony, um, and maybe one other MGM, I guess, but MGM just got acquired by Amazon. So like, uh, you know, yeah. most of the studios, I think it's fair to say, have um, poured significant resources into streaming services over the past few years, because that seems to be where things are going. With a, a huge uh, sort of reality check like this for Netflix, what do you think this means in terms of like the the um, state of uh, the way that we're going to watch entertainment going forward. Do you think this has any sort of wide-reaching effects on any of the other streaming services? Do you think that this is maybe, um, you know, when the history books are written, are we going to look back on this as like, oh, this is actually uh, the first step toward something else beyond streaming because the industry realizes that streaming services as they exist now are not uh, a sustainable business model at, at large. What do you think about like the, what the future might look like? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little too early. Like, I don't want to go too off the rails, but like this could easily, I don't want to say easily, but this could be like the black Monday of streaming, right? Like we could look back on this as like, you know, like the day wall street fell out, you know what I mean? Like this could (laughs) be, you know, or, because I think the biggest problem I look at, like, now, for one thing, I did want to circle back. Sony's starting to look really smart. <laughs> like, even if it's on accident, <laughs> Sony is just starting to look so smart because everyone else needs content. And Sony's like, well, 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 look, you know, and so, you know, they so, you know, like they just sold Man from Toronto to Netflix because they're cowards and they wouldn't put the movie <laughs> in theaters. But um, like, let me be clear. No, I don't care about a Jason Statham, Kevin Hart comedy, but theaters could use it. So I was a little pissed they sold it. But, but yeah, uh, I think but, I think um, what's his name? Woody Harrelson replaced Jason Statham in that even. So like, that's how little you care about it. You oh, that's right. It was, what, yeah, the, it was one of those two. <laughs> I'm weirdly way more interested in that combination. Like Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson is more interesting to me than, than <laughs> Kevin Hart. and Jason. Yeah, that's same. not important. That's really so unimportant. But 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 uh, so so I think. I think let, let me use one streamer as an example here. Uh, let's let's look at NBC Universal, uh, gigantic mega corporation. Uh, uh, you know, so I, maybe some people don't even realize like NBC and like Universal Pictures are under the same roof essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's big. So Peacock is where that funnels. Peacock lost one point seven billion dollars last year. Uh, and that's not stock valuation. That was they straight up lost in the red one point seven billion dollars last year. Um, that is just how the early and Netflix was bleeding cash for years too. It takes a long time to get to 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 you know those subscriber dollars monthly are nice, but the amount of investment you have to make to build up a, a content library to keep people interested is expensive, and mm-hmm. it takes a long time. So. Netflix needed something like it wasn't until they reached over 100 million subscribers, I think, that they reached profitability. You know, it took a long time. Mm -hmm. And Disney Plus, their next biggest competitor, isn't expected to hit profitability until, I think, 2024. Yeah, something like that. So that would be almost five years. So can Peacock afford to lose $1.7 billion or more for five years? 
as a part of, you know, and the other part of that is when you continue to double down on streaming like that, what happens if it fails? Can you just pivot back to theatrical? Well, probably not because you have decimated the theatrical landscape as it used to exist. So then what? And I don't have an answer for that question, but that is the question that like, I don't want to be dramatic here, but it's like the question that keeps me up at night as a journalist. <laughs> yeah. Like what happens when that happens? Like, because well, like you... what are, what are some of the options there? Like what are some of the possible paths to that? That could be an answer to that question. A reckoning like I don't know you can't just you know they, they they've more or less like destroyed what was behind them like the theatrical exhibition marketplace marketplace as it existed and mm -hmm. like sealed up the wall with concrete on the way out you know like it's like yeah. you can't the, the biggest thing is consumer habits like this happened in the music industry with with mp3 and digital technology you could not retrain consumers to go back to buying cds mm -hmm. or you know what i mean people eventually found their way to buying vinyl because they liked it but right. it still doesn't make up for what sales were lost overall you are yeah. not going to be able to retrain consumers to go back to theaters all the time for everything they used to you know it's just not going to happen so yeah I so like of... to be clear like streaming is here to stay because uh the consumer habits have um have shifted so dramatically in the past let's call yeah, it 10 it years has, um it has to be on some level but what happens when one of these gargantuan streaming services fail that's attached to another gigantic media corporation that i don't know i don't know yeah. what happens to all that content i don't know what happens to universal pictures when you know, they don't have a streaming outlet as a safety net and they can't just go back to theaters and Blu-ray sales no longer exist. You know, like I don't you know, I don't know what the answers are there, but we are going to yeah, see that happen in the next handful of years. And it'll be fascinating to watch the fallout. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of worried about it because like you're saying, this is a, a question that keeps journalists up at night. Like the idea that, um, you know, one of the big talking points that we've talked about since the inception of this podcast is like the the loss of the uh, of the mid budget adult centric movie, right? And like um, in theory, streaming services would be the place where that type of stuff uh, goes now, because there is no no longer really a um, a theatrical appetite, or uh, the appetite might be there, but uh, there's no longer um, <laughs> that that option is no longer really on the menu anymore uh, for theaters, right? For for consumers. No, and to be so, clear, it was the companies that took that option off the table. They yeah. immediately trained consumers to say these are no longer the movies that you yeah. know. So I blame them more than anything else. Yeah, for sure. So so with that being the case, then I I wonder if that means you know uh, let's say Peacock just vanishes. Um, the uh, th that as a receptacle for the type of projects that um, NBC Universal uh, would greenlight without that there, um, does that mean that those projects just uh, don't get made anymore? I mean, I kind of think that. I'm not like nearly as business focused as you are, Ryan, but it kind of seems like if that starts to happen in a couple places around town, you're looking at, um, you know, a, a reshaping again of the type of stuff that we, uh, that we kind of fear as, um, as journalists covering this stuff, which is just, uh, a, an acceleration of the trends that we're seeing right now. Right. Which is like just the huge, uh, mega budget IP stuff 
being the only viable thing that can be in theaters. And it already kind of is that to a degree. It's, with it's their- definitely that. It, and it's getting more of that. Like, like I think one of the things today, we have a thing up on the site. And look, I, I didn't write it. I didn't. And I'm not knocking any. But it's just everyone was talking about everything everywhere all at once. It's a great movie. Good reviews. It's doing well enough at the box office. But there was a big thing today where everyone was making a big deal about, oh, it's made $20 million at the box office. Well, the movie has a $25 million budget. Is that a success? No, it is not. Like, at least mm. not yet. I hope it gets to the point of being a success. But like, if that's, you know, that success is being touted sort of like in relation to streaming. Okay, cool. It can make $25, $40 million at the box office, and then it'll kind of make the rest of the money it needs to make on streaming because right. that's still not enough to get it to profit. So like, if that's what success looks like right now for those kind of movies, yeah, what happens when you don't, you know, because A24 doesn't necessarily have a streaming outlet. They have a partnership with, you know, Apple. But the big thing is that they can sort of then be one of those providers to streamers or providers to other, you know. So yeah. I think like, you know, maybe Peacock fails, maybe then the movies, types of movies you're talking about. Like we were just talking about Sony looking smart because they can sell content to other streamers. They can make content for streamers. They can make content for theatrical. They can just make a movie and decide what to do with it. In theory, mm-hmm. Universal Pictures could do that same thing. But then like the other the bigger problem really comes into TV because a lot of what like NBC does is like TV focused, and a lot of that has been shifted to streaming. Well, what are you gonna do? Then go back to cable? Yeah. <laughs> like what's you know, that's not really you know, so I that that's another gigantic issue. Like I don't know as nearly as much about TV as I do movies, but like you you it's not like you know, cable is revenue goes down every single year. So yeah. like, that's not going to be there. So I don't know. It's yeah. yeah. And you know, I think one of the reason that the cable is still around is because of the ads, right? Like the idea of, uh, of selling advertising there. And that's something that Netflix has said, you know, for many, many years, like, oh, we're not really interested in having an ad supported tier, but now they're saying that they actually are going to launch uh, an ad supported streaming tier for a, a lower monthly fee. Um, Netflix is also going to be cracking down on password sharing, which is something uh, that they have been very, very lax on for the past 10 years. Um, there's something like a hundred million users like sharing passwords or something, which is just like kind of a a mind boggling number to think about. Um, so, you know, what do you think Netflix's, uh, future looks like? Um, you know, I I know we sort of, uh, went macro there for a second. We're talking about the industry as a whole, but, um, Netflix, uh, having, encountered this, uh, having been punched in the face this week, how do you think that they, um, get back up and, and, uh, sort of like continue to thrive? Is it, is there a, a path for them that you can see, Ryan? Like, um, one of the options that I'm thinking of is, uh, maybe don't spend quite as much money on, <laughs> on one particular asset. Like there was a report this week that they spent $30 million an episode on Stranger Things season four, uh, which is $10 yeah. million more per episode than HBO spent for the, the Game of Thrones uh, House of the Dragon um, prequel show. Anyway, so let's uh, be clear, $20 million an episode is still obscene. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm very close to or if not sitting at the highest, like the most expensive, um, you know, TV uh, uh, episode breakdown or whatever uh, that exists until Lord of the Rings comes out, which is going to be a whole different oh, thing later I, on this I, year. God damn it. Um, I'm waiting for that but, show uh, to just not deliver. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, then, I have my fingers crossed. Well, I'm sure we'll have countless conversations about that as it, as it goes on. But what do you think about, um, you know, are, are there ways for Netflix to sort of claw itself out of this? Um, what, what do you think their uh, their best move here might be? 
I think I think if history has taught us anything, it's that people in power with lots of money and power tend to make great decisions when they're panicking. Um, <laughs> uh, like, so, you know, um, the music industry starts suing old ladies when they start downloading, you know, MP3s illegally. And suddenly <laughs> and suddenly the face of people that were selling you $20 CDs for 15 years becomes a complete jackass and nobody has any sympathy for stealing music and the music industry as we knew it fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, some of Netflix's immediate solutions in this presentation the other day reek to me of panicking and like for years they're like we're not gonna do ad supported whatever hey guess what we're doing an ad supported plan (laughs) (laughs) like because now that one i don't have an issue with i think give consumers the choice why not what does it hurt you know what i i don't think that what fine if people want to deal with ads so what who cares it's just a way to get more subscribers maybe Mm -hmm. um the, the now i understand how much money you are perceivably bleeding from password sharing. But when you start cracking down on that, you suddenly become the dick that nobody likes, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily translate into all of those people, uh, you know, going to to pay for their own stuff. Like a lot of people are just going to cut it off. Right. Especially because Netflix is not as essential as it used to be. Right. Um, you know, like there are other streamers now, granted, Netflix has a lot of like exclusive original content, but like there's so much stuff out there. And I think what you're going to start seeing more of and people are going to get sick of doing is like they're going to subscribe to a service for a month or so to watch the thing they want to watch. Then they're going to unsubscribe and they're going to cycle through streaming services like that. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, no, I th- and I think piracy is obviously going to go up and, and you know, things like that. But yeah, so the, the password sharing crackdown, I get it like that, that, you know, that's a lot of people. But but there's no way you come out of that looking good. There's no way you come out of that. People are going to be pissed. And I don't know how much that translates to new subscribers. I really don't know. And, and so again, to me, this just strikes of like, these are a couple of panic moves we can make right now, but like, how do you recover that 60% of the stock we lost in the last six months? Yeah. I'm wondering, like, do you think that there's a, um, uh, a possible option could be, I'm, I'm trying to, again, I, I apologize if this sounds just like straight up ignorant because I'm not like really uh, tapped into the business angle, but thinking of it, trying or trying to think of it from a creative standpoint, um, do you think that it would make sense for Netflix to actually take some of that money that they're spending on content and, and um, you know, sign, you know, there were several years there where they were signing people like Ryan Murphy and Shonda Rhimes to like insane and Benny and Weiss from Game of Thrones, Obscene like insane deals, deals right? And those things have have uh, borne out well uh, for the Shonda Rhimes thing. You know, she created Bridgerton. That's like a huge mm-hmm. hit for for Netflix. Um, but then, you know, some of those deals haven't borne out as well. So, you know, it's been a very much uh, of a mixed bag. Like Benioff and Weiss, I think, have like produced a couple shows for them. They have like and... one big thing coming. They have the, yeah. the what is the 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 first the something body problem. The, yeah, the three body problem. Three maybe? body problem. Um, that's the that's their big thing. Yeah, and I think they were supposed to be producing an adaptation of the Overstory as well, which is like a, a, a well-regarded book from a few years ago. But um, yeah, the, the point being, like, do you think that it makes sense for Netflix to um, seek out some, uh, I don't know what you would call them, like down-the-road hit makers? Like, uh, like somebody like Sean Levy is a good example of what I'm thinking about, like the, what we just saw with the Adam Project. Sean Levy's um, expensive now. <laughs> like, right. They missed the boat on that. Like, like the, if they want to sign Sean Levy now, he's going to cost them a lot of money. 
right. But like the 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 people on that Sean Levy tier who make you know sort of like um uh, I don't know if you, doesn't not all of these have to be family friendly, but just like uh right right down the road uh, down the middle of the road like um just like solid uh blockbuster entertainment kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Do you think that it would make sense for Netflix to sort of seek those people out? Um, and maybe this is like leaning too much on the auteur theory and like, you know, we saw what happens when they give Michael Bay free reign and he makes Six Underground, a movie that like nobody really cares about. But like Michael Bay is kind of on the extreme end of like of the the idea that I'm having that I'm trying to articulate no, no, here. I, but I, like, I understand what you're saying. Like do you, you, you seek out people who can make you like content that casts a wide net. Yeah, and and on paper that would be good candidates for making things that would go to number one on the Netflix algorithm, like the top ten or whatever, right? right. Like I but, love but, but first, like, first of all, just oh, I was just gonna say really, really oh, quickly, ahead. like I love that um, that they gave Martin Scorsese, you know, hundreds of millions, uh, millions of dollars to make The Irishman, uh, regardless of whether or not I actually liked that movie that much. Um, I love that they are, you know, a, a destination for people like Alfonso Cuaron to make Roma and like uh, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. All these movies that are like the movies that um, are Oscar movies and like drive the the sort of art house conversation. I love all that stuff. And I love that these people are having have Netflix as an as a place to go, um, whereas a lot of these other studios, because of the issues that we've been talking about already, um, are very averse to to funding projects like that. Yeah. But um, do you think that it makes more sense for Netflix to sort of allocate more of its money toward uh, people who could potentially, um, uh, yeah, like produce uh, content that that may be more wide ranging like that? Um, not that there's like a clear formula or that it's easy to do this in any way. Right. Um, but uh, I don't know. What, what would you think about a a series of um, of big deals being signed with, you know, sort of down the middle, uh, successful filmmakers like that. Is that, would that make sense to you? I don't even know. I mean, I think it makes sense if you have any sort of formula to get you there. Uh, but you don't, and everybody would sign those people if they did. Uh, you know, that's why Warner brothers shelled out an ungodly amount of money to get JJ Abrams. That's why, that's why Netflix paid Zack Snyder, frankly. Like that's mm -hmm. why he, Zack Snyder has a deal with them. Um, you know, I've joked a lot of times that they'd like a lot of that Ryan Murphy money back. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's still making FX way more money than he's making, you know, Netflix. But yeah, I think it makes more sense to. I think Power of the Dog and 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 Roma make way make way more sense than like the Irishman. Like, I mm -hmm. think that does more for you. Like, I thought the Irishman look, I love Scorsese. I really hope he continues to get to make things. But I am all about responsibility at every level. And the interesting thing about movies and the thing I find fascinating, I think the reason I like the business and the box office is like Hollywood is chaos. Like how on earth do you make art that is entirely and completely reliant on commerce? How does anything ever become good right. in that system? Mm -hmm. And like, and, and you know, but like, but it's like, because I, so I always lean on responsibility. Like, I'm so happy the Northman got made. I haven't seen it. I'm so excited to see it. I'm so upset that it cost $90 million because it's never going to make its money back. Like yeah. the Irishman, I'm I'm happy Scorsese got to make the Irishman. I think it's ridiculous that they spent like $200 million on it. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. It, it, 
there's no formula for what your yes, of course, if there was like a if there was an A to Z formula for what you're stating, everyone mm -hmm. would sign those people. There yeah. isn't, unfortunately. But the problem is you sign Sean Levy now. Who knows if he gets you another Adam Project? Who knows if he gets you another Stranger Things? Who knows if he gets you another Real Steel? Who knows any of that? You yeah. know, like it, it's it's so I think you just have to go. And the biggest problem Netflix has is like a, a service like Shudder can just do horror movies and a, appeal to smaller audience. Uh, appease a smaller audience mm. netflix has to cast a such a wide net and that's why so many times it's fascinating to look at like what is in the top 10 of netflix that day and it's like some old mid-tier hollywood movie that kind of bombed at the box office that people watched on dvd some nostalgic thing some terrible easy to watch um reality show and one or two of their big movies or shows like it's such a weird mix of stuff that's just easy to click on you yeah. know, because they have to cast a wide net. And I think that's the biggest problem is that they have to appease so many people to keep those subscribers. And that's expensive and difficult. And, you know, how do you fit that all on a homepage? That's the biggest problem. Well, I don't really know where else to go uh, from here, Ryan. But um, do you have any like uh, stray thoughts or, or topics that we didn't really touch on? Any other ideas that all of this chaos may have sparked in you when you uh, found out about this stuff a day or two ago? Um. I, I, yeah, I'm sort of, I guess I have a reputation as like a business minded guy around here, but I think the biggest thing is that I am a fan of this stuff first. And I think that's where my interesting sort of people seem to respond to my commentary on this stuff. And I guess the only reason I can find for that is that I have a weird marriage of like the business mind that fascinates me and a guy who just loves this stuff and wants to see more of it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, th th then that goes to a lot of things in my life. And so my biggest thing that I always tell people, and, and I guess this is like a consumer thing to think about as you proceed forward in your journeys of enjoying entertainment is I would say vote with your dollar. You know, like you need to sort of be conscious about the decisions you're making as a consumer because they do matter in terms of these things. You know, go see that movie that you think looks good and make sure you throw down some money to do it. If you mm -hmm. think a streaming service is better than the other streaming service, pay for that streaming service. I don't know how else anything works or happens or gets done. I don't know how all this sorts out, but I think that a lot of people just kind of get complacent in that idea and they think that entertainment is more or less uh, a privilege at this point, something they're 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 entitled to. And I think we need to get back to the idea that you need to be pretty intentional about the things that you're supporting because there isn't going to be room for everything. And some things might fail when this house of cards might fall. And when it does, you want to make sure the things that you really want and care about can still survive. So that would be my only thing is just for people to consider what it means when they hate watch something on Netflix and that gets a season two because a bunch of people hate watched a thing, you know, like that stuff matters. So that that would be my last thought. Yeah, that's a great place to end. So uh, yeah, you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening. And real quick before we go, I think next week um, I'm supposed to be in CinemaCon in Las Vegas. I'm supposed to be assuming that you know my flight doesn't get canceled or any sort of craziness happens there. Um, my plan right now is to try to do uh, a normal Tuesday, Thursday episode of the podcast, probably just by myself, just telling you guys 
um, like relaying some of the stuff that I see at CinemaCon. But, um, you know, I'm going to be by myself. I'm going to have a microphone and I'm going to be running from panel to panel and presentations and all that stuff. So all of this is just a long-winded way of saying that if I miss an episode or something next week, I apologize. I will tell you guys about what I see, you know, uh, in in the most um, <laughs> uh, time-sensitive uh, fashion that I can. Um, but that's the plan right now. So again, I apologize in advance if something crazy happens with the schedule and like we just don't have episodes two days next week. But um, I'm just using this to cover my bases here. So expect more, uh, you know, a sort of full recounting of what happens at CinemaCon sometime very, very soon. But uh, yes, thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. It doesn't matter what job you're up against. Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment have the power for you to get the job done faster and easier. The PowerShare 20-volt batteries run longer on a single charge, and they can be used with other tools. Check out Menard's entire selection of works, cordless power tools, and lawn equipment. Plus the weekly flyer today on Menards.com. Save money.